and welcome to Illusionary Tales of Reality, the podcast where we delve into the depths of reality and discuss some of the hidden truths beneath life as we know it. Get ready to explore the unknown and open your mind as we reveal information not covered in the mainstream media. Now, please welcome your host, Josh Bellamy. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Illusionary Tales of Reality. My name is Josh, and I will be your host uh, for today's episode. Um, As I promised, uh, if you've already listened to an episode a couple of days ago, um, I do have uh, my next guest on uh, that I definitely um, really thank him for coming on. Uh, We were supposed to do this back in October. Things happened uh, and sort of had to put things uh, back in the forefront um, of everything. So definitely appreciate him for uh, coming back on uh, for today's show. Uh, so before we get things started here, um, just to give you a little bit of background, uh, as far as today's episode goes. Um, so one of the biggest things, uh, especially that's coming out here recently with a lot of information is our timeline of history and events um, as we know it. Um, and today's guest um, is one of probably the more uh, featured um, speakers that, that I've heard here recently talk about this, especially when it comes to um, the alternate history uh, timeline. Uh, you can find him at uh, on his website, uh, Paradigm Threat. Um, so without further ado, I'd like to introduce our host, uh, Arya Sulin, uh, to the show. Hi there. How's it going? I'm good. Yourself? Doing pretty good. Nice weekend. That is definitely true. I had the day off and it's definitely uh, good to be here. Um, So before uh, we jump into everything, uh, Ari, if you want to give our listeners a little bit of a background on yourself and sort of where you first started with all of this. (coughs) I bet. Um, I guess you can call me an alternate cosmologist. Uh, Cosmology, of course, is the um, structure of the universe, the cosmos. And the structure is more is different from the astronomy, which is the observing of the universe, and just like marking where everything is. Uh, cosmos or any kind of cosmological structure implies uh, a certain order and reason why it happens. For example, uh, you know, uh, religious um, texts will describe it as God's plan and God's order, and um, <clears throat> and um, you know, NASA, for example, would say. There is no order to our universe aside from what gravity provides, et cetera. So there's an alternate cosmology available, which is based on Saturnian cosmology, which is the idea that just in our uh, solar system alone, um, the planets as we know them formed rapidly and all together at once, as opposed to over billions of years, as we've been taught in school. So that's alternate cosmology called Saturnian cosmology. No doubt. Um... To, to break a little bit with that, um, so I know, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, with David Icke and his oh, yeah, of course. Um, theory with Saturn being closer to the sun. And I know there's not a whole lot of people that I personally have, have come across um, that have delved down that rabbit hole. Um, so with that, and is that sort of the the baseline with the Saturnian uh, timeline where Saturn was, quote unquote, our sun at one point in time? And then basically what we see now, the, the 
the powers that be sort of use that um, as their worshiping or their idol? Yeah, essentially in this cosmology, which reflects um, religions, indigenous religions around the world, there was a, a central origin story to a birth of the earth, essentially, which then spawned life and everything else happened rapidly. So in this version, Saturn is the creator of earth, is the planet where earth essentially comes from one way or the other. And therefore, it makes sense that a lot of religions in the past and up until modern day are worshiping Saturn as the creator of what they believed was the universe at the time, our solar system. That makes sense. Um, <clears throat> since the 20th century, since the 19th century, uh, we've started to believe that the solar system is not the universe. And as a result, the, uh, the creator story had to change. Now the creator is the uh, creator of the entire universe. And they've started saying that since the 19th century. No doubt. So, so obviously, I know, um, I know you've talked about the mud flood, and, and that's something that I've honestly, up until I think very recently, I had never come across that. I think I heard that on, right. uh, very recent. on your episode um, that you did with uh, Mark over on My Family Thinks I'm Crazy. Um, yeah. So, so the mud flood, could you explain to the listeners sort of what that is and sort of based off the research that, that you've done, um, how that sort of ties into uh, and this alternate timeline or the timeline that we're sort of in now. Totally. Um, the uh, Saturnian cosmology, as I mentioned, that's more of like the origin where, how do we get here? And the mud flood is a modern event. It's considered a modern event um, within, the, within the human age rather than a cataclysmic event during the, the rendering of the earth. So this mud flood event, which a lot of the theories have speculated, we all seem to agree on the same dates, which is early 19th century. There seems to be a mud flood event that was worldwide all at once, and it was covered up. Simply to say it was covered up because nobody has talked about it since. No one's told us why this happens. And yet the evidence is still there right now. You can go like look at these locations all over the planet, in Europe, especially here in America, in China, and you'll find uh, buried buildings that should never have been buried, or we don't know why they're buried. There should be some local story that says, here's why they're buried, you know, hydraulic drilling or every one of those theories. And yet we never hear about any of them. And so this represents one of the biggest conspiracy cover-ups that we've ever heard of. This is like way bigger than say 9-11, JFK, moon landing, you name it. This is the biggest one. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and it's definitely the, that sort of uh, begs, the goes back to the quote, uh, what is it? He who controls the past controls the present or something along the lines of that. It is Absolutely. definitely very, very, very prominent uh, with that, especially when it comes comes to history um and that's one of the things i know for myself i remember like after i heard heard you talking about this and about the uncovered or buildings being buried like it took me to a couple of videos that i remember watching um one was um a guy i can't remember i think he's it's bright insights on youtube where he was talking about um i think it was sometime a couple of years ago i want to say it was in greece Hmm. where they just uncovered what it looked like there were the buildings or the pantheons that were there now were actually built upon over something else um now something right. like that would that be a part of the the mud flood itself or, or would you potentially think oh, absolutely back further absolutely at any point when you have a building that's been buried you have a new architect coming in that is going to rebuild it into something new it begs the question um, what, how are we representing the past? You know, are we going to reflect the style of the old buildings or are we going to 
literally erase it like it's never been there ever. And whoever chose to rebuild the 19th century, whoever uh, spread those train tracks all over the world, um, <clears throat> you know, jump-started the first and second industrial revolutions, those people essentially, uh, for whatever reason, we're not getting to yet, decided, yeah, we're going to totally erase this. We're going to cover it up. We're going to say that building wasn't what you think it was. Uh, the, the official history of these um, Roman style or Rusward uh, architecture buildings or Tartarian architecture, how they are officially known, um, is the official story is that they're all built rapidly within 20 years in the 19th century early. And that within that period in the mid 19th century, all knowledge of how we built these <clears throat> magnificent buildings was suddenly lost. And since then, we've been building out of um, material that that does not work well for buildings that catches on fire that falls apart in floods and so forth we totally forgot how to build them apparently so this kind of explanation you know, it doesn't sit very well with people a lot of people say well that, that's a cover-up you know clearly there was some kind of strong advanced uh, organized civilization here in america before the colonists showed up and we're not talking about sticks and stones indians we're talking about a real civilization that built the most magnificent buildings we've ever seen so this you know this, uh, once you start to look at the magnitude of events from coast to coast, the piles of photos and places you can still visit, you know, a place like Utah um, that you wouldn't expect to find anything, but there's buried towers there too, um, begs the question, what is this event? How did it happen? Why are they covering it up? And, and then finally, if, if anyone is covering up for any reason, does not this really mean that, that society as we know it was reset in the 19th century? that everything about it, math, physics, explanation for the universe, for God, and especially our history as we knew it was redacted and reorganized in this one reset event in the 19th century. That's what apparently everyone concludes. It's, um, it's like if they went to such trouble to cover that up, up, then why would they not have also taken advantage of that, that um, <clears throat> Knowledge vacuum. Nobody in this planet seems to know where they come from in the last 200 years. Beyond that, it's cut off. Nobody knows who the kings and queens are related to. Anyone could have set them up at any point. Um, in Europe, uh, they're very intimately tied together, but never, mar never married into the peasant class. You know, that was not an accident. That was by design. There was an ability there for somebody to say, here, from here on out, this is the history, official history. Here's the kings and queens. And anyone that doubts this is going literally to be sent to an insane asylum, which again, also sprung up all over the planet in the 19th century. Yeah, that is a, definitely a very crazy uh, thought to think about. Compelling, right? Very compelling. Um, with that, we've been trying to figure out like with history being sort of rewritten or rewrote yeah. within the last 200 years, considering with a lot of people, you sort of, at least from my experience, like you go through school, you learn various topics. And, and right. I know for me, like, there's a lot of stuff that, that I didn't know anything about until I got out, got outside of school, um, right. research on my own. Um, so, so for the, we'll sort of start with, with the mud flood itself. So, <laughs> so from your research, um, when you said it was the early 19th century, so 1800s is sort of when this <clears throat> event took place. Yeah, my estimate is uh, 1816 to 1860, roughly 40 years. Okay, so that is a pretty long time uh, in between there. So, right. so what would, so so with your the information that you've gathered around that, 
um, what would have potentially been like the cause of that as well as why would somebody want to cause that and rewrite history as we know it? Right. Um, looking for the cause of this is the most important thing, because without knowing that we we have we might ascertain this to a supernatural event, which, you know, maybe it is. Maybe this is <clears throat> what happens when an asteroid passes by. Uh, the, but if that was the case, then <clears throat> you'd think that we would be looking for an event similar to this in the future. And instead, we make all of our movies, and our CGI and stuff based on similarly simulated realities, considerably different from what this event was depicted as. So it seems that the idea of how the apocalypse happens is itself. <clears throat> Sorry, one second. Drink coffee. No problem. Yeah, <clears throat> they um they gave us sort of like a false image of how the apocalypse could happen, and they don't seem to be caring about the real event. Case in point, the Tunguska event, which allegedly happened in 1916, was so devastating that it kind of rot Siberia and destroyed entire forests, and um. And nobody looks for this event in the future. They're not looking for something like this to happen or why. You know, was it a solar flare? Was it a meteor? Um, they th say maybe a meteor exploded in the sky. Well, isn't that terrible? Why aren't we looking for that? You see my point. So yeah. um, this mud flood, we're not looking for it for some reason. And um, <clears throat> well, yeah, that's my point. Try to remember where we started that conversation from. Yeah. Um, so it was a uh, sort of figuring out what caused it. Oh yeah, uh, the cause, right? The reason behind it, or why somebody would so, do it. So yeah, that's a, so I don't think it's a supernatural event, just because we're not looking for it. That was my conclusion. Um, I started looking at the um, the social economic reasons why this might happen, and immediately it just exploded in my face. All of these reasons why this happened. This had everything to do with the the French Revolution and uh, the inability to rule humanity here on Earth. Uh, we had gone from more or less eclectic spread out uh, uh, you know, tribes, tribal systems to an organized empire, worldwide empire. And then that empire fell apart right before the French Revolution. And there's this huge power vacuum. Our entire species said, what next? What do we go from here? Do we try this democracy? No, we tried that. Do we try another dictatorship? We're afraid of that. Do we, you know, we don't want to give the priests control again. So when I started reading this French Revolution in detail and I saw how Napoleon lost in um, his campaign in Russia, it occurred to me that this is the reason why the Medford event happened. It wasn't a, um, it wasn't um, a, a even counter action to Napoleon's invasion. It wasn't like, let's just take out his army. It was overcompensating. It was devastating to the planet. And it allegedly uh, killed off, you know, like 75% of life and plant life on this planet. So that's, that's a major overreaction. And if we're going to have to ascertain the reason for this mud flood to human behavior, then we cannot, we cannot just say, oh, they just decided to blow up Earth. That doesn't make sense. They want to rule this planet. They need the resources from it. They want, it to, they want us to love them as their God. So they're not going to screw this up. So it just really clicked to me that the mud flood event was an overreaction to Napoleon's massive victory. His campaign must have been successful. And as he essentially undid everything the Jesuits have been doing the last 200 years, he freed Earth. And this wasn't the first time anyone freed Earth or the last time anyone attempted. This is actually something that's happened and repeated over and over in our history. We saw the same thing happen with Hitler, and we saw the same thing happen with Trump in a very different way. These guys are created by the deep state. They go along the plans their whole lives, and for some reason, they turn on the plan in, in some way that ruins the plan. So 
when I read Napoleon's story, I realized this is, he didn't just lose in Russia. That story, that defeat in Russia makes no sense. You look at the statistics and you see these, these rugged French soldiers who cross the Alps somehow losing 420,000 men in, the, in, the, in Moscow. It just doesn't make sense to me. Um, then when I dug deeper, I found out this is not such a, a backwards army as depicted in, in our movies and books. These, this army was the most advanced army in history. They had everything. They had stuff that we don't believe is possible, stuff that makes it into fantasy, stuff like airships, stuff like uh, sound cannons. And it's all right there in the literature. It's in the Russian secular text that these cannons were used to destroy entire castles. It's in the Bible when we see Jericho being destroyed by musical instruments. It is constantly referenced that these advanced armies had advanced weaponry. And there was no, there was not much of a fight when they invaded Russia, they took Russia. It was over. And they had, and the, the Western uh, reformist Europeans had defeated their Eastern, um, uh, uh, that was the word, <sighs> inquisition, inquisitioners. Okay. They had finally taken revenge against their Eastern inquisitors, according to Fomenko's new chronology, covering a lot of stuff there. And that his victory made a lot of sense. It wasn't a military victory. It was a psychological victory that everyone had it with that old empire and their old ways of doing things, their taxation, everything. And Napoleon basically offered an alternate. He said, you know, we're, we're not going to listen to the priests anymore because that's what the French Revolution was about. We threw them off and we're not going to listen to the old empire because Napoleon declared himself czar. So that, that was my point is that for that 10 year period when he was in charge, he basically freed earth. <clears throat> he made it so that no one is going to be able to control this planet ever again. And somebody had to do something to completely reverse all of his actions, <clears throat> all of his dip diplomacy, <clears throat> his ability to ruin monotheistic religion, <clears throat> especially in Egypt. They, they had to do something that struck the fear of God back into the entire population of the earth. <clears throat> and that is the mud flood event. So without, without getting into the details of that, <clears throat> there's a lot of reasons to point again at the 19th century as this time when everyone started for some reason believing in God. First of all, after Napoleon's defeat, you have uh, the Overture of 1812 written by Tchaikovsky, which literally is a song about how God intervened and defeated, you know, bad guys, evil guys. You have um, the saying, God save the queen, God save the king, in every European country in the 19th century. Every one of them said that. And you had Tsar, um, I think Nicholas III, I can't remember exactly, <clears throat> who was the, the victor after Napoleon was defeated, who literally said, and you can look this up, that he does not believe this was a divine intervention, that this was something else. Do not associate this victory against Napoleon to God, even though, yes, the, the sky did open up and fall, and he was literally just like destroyed from heavens. So that did happen, sure, but don't say it was God. Uh, more to the point, in Russia, 100 years later, you had the Bolshevik Revolution, where people absolutely believe that there was a, a monotheistic creator on their side at the same time pushing secular um, atheism on everyone. It was, uh, it was the outcome of this, of this period in the 19th century when people vastly believed that God was a, a ever-present in, in, in human life, that he intervened, that he sided with people, that he did not like Napoleon, and that anyone who even allied with Napoleon in those times was going to get it, essentially. This was a lesson learned. By the time the mud flood event was over, we immediately had endless warfare. We had uh, the Civil War in America in, in the 1860s, leading up to World War I, which is about 40 years of war, not four years. 
during World War I, people really lost faith in religion because they, yes, they believe that um, God does take sides in battle, but the, God did not show up in World War I or World War II. It was a, a massive failing of religion. And today, we literally, we grow up in this world where we have both of them. We have people who 100% believe that God intervenes and that history proves it. And, and 100% got the atheists who absolutely believe that is not the case. So I think it's a pretty good explanation for it, actually. Yeah, that is definitely no doubt. So, so as far as the the mud flood itself, I know you had mentioned um, with the advanced weaponry, and I definitely wholeheartedly believe that 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 the technology that that's in the past was probably more advanced than we've seen, especially when we look at some of the some of the depictions coming out of Egypt to right. um, Samaria with the, with their with their knowledge to even the Mayans being more recent. Um, yeah. What type of technology would have been used uh, to to make this mud flood happen? Well, that's where I involve the planet Mars. And I know we've been hearing our whole lives that Martians are these little green squid things or something or other, and that they really, really, really wanted us to believe that there was no life on Mars and their head explodes if you stand there and so forth. But 19th century, again, a lot of people did believe that um, that humans on Mars intervened in Earth affairs. In fact, if you watch, uh, we just watched um, Days and Confused last night. There's like a 10, there's like a two minute scene where this one guy is talking about how George Washington was deeply involved in alien research and that he's part of a cult that communicated with aliens. So, I mean, stuff's kind of out in the open, actually, that <clears throat> back in the 19th century, people definitely believed that there was humans on Mars and that they, they intervened in human affairs. So how could they have intervened? Well, um, of course, they could have shot us with some kind of huge interplanetary um, directed energy device. Um, what, what makes that so guaranteed though? Why, why, is it, why am I so sure of that? Well, um, if you look at how energy works in space, it travels to the nearest location that can, um, that can harness it. it. It doesn't go in a straight line. And that means that when Earth and Mars are in proximity they, um, and one plant shoots energy, the other plant receives it. <clears throat> it's actually very simple. So it's all about whether or not they chose to do that and why. And the why is, is, well, it's the worst reason of all. It's because they lost control of Earth and they knew that they would no longer have uh, get resources that they need on their planet, which is a far worse place to live, if they don't, if they don't uh, do something to regain control. And if they negotiate, then they feel they're going to lose also because they've been basically screwing with, with human affairs for so long, they don't believe they're ever going to be forgiven. At least that's why I think. Yeah. So, so with that, obviously, from what it sounds like, is that this hasn't happened just recently, just this one time. It sounds like it's happened multiple times in the past, and obviously, um, I, I think history has shown that with with the with the Great Deluge or, or the or the mass flooding event, and to the asteroid wiping off the dinosaurs and the and the Younger Dryas periods. Um, have you come across like how many times? history has been reset or or is this really the first time that it's happened to to this mass of, of an extent oh i'm convinced it was the first time um i know it sounds like it could be many times for example the movie the movies the matrix make it clear that there was five iterations and of the matrix and that and that they didn't realize it very scary concept well our human civilization could have been reset in different ways at different times i, do, I don't believe there was ever more than one worldwide mud flood event. The reason for that is 
if they didn't accomplish all of their goals the first time, they guaranteed that if they were to repeat it a second time, they would also not accomplish their goals. It's, it's guaranteed. They already tried it. And not to mention, we would probably be like, hey, now, I think we know what's going on. It was just the jig would be up the second time. Yeah. This this was not something that they could be uh, have their fingerprints on. They've been trying to get us to fight each other for the last 150 years so that they can stay out of it. They're not going to shoot us again. Yeah. So, so these people that you keep uh, talking about, as far as we'll, we'll, we'll refer to them as Martians to, to, to right, simplify yeah. things, um, totally. would these be like the the gods of old, like like from the Sumerian times? Are they newer gods, or are they far older than than what we would even consider? <clears throat> well, they would love us to believe that they represent or are the one creator god of the universe. Um, that's it. Beyond that, they were just the Atlanteans, uh, from what I've understood. Atlantis was on Mars. I was on the North Pole of Mars, the highest place that human could stand during the Golden Age. It was the best place to be. It's where all technology was, the knowledge. And it was the place that completely fell apart when the Golden Age ended. So you see these Atlanteans on Mars had a way advantage on technology. And they had elitism. You know, they had like, they were better than others and stuff. And then when everything fell apart, when Atlantis fell, they've been with, they've been um, essentially deciding to use what suppressed knowledge and control they have over humanity to maintain control when they could have stopped at any point point and just shared it all, you know, after yeah. the gold age ended, humanity was in a lot of trouble for a long time. It would have been a great time to share technology. I'm sure stuff happens on other planets. And in this case, we had to live in a technology planet that has te had technology completely suppressed on us this whole time. We are living in a really, really backwards time now, you know, no flying cars, no water engines, no, uh, electronic health um no um advanced communication none of that stuff it's all metered we're living in a metered world that's the world i was looking for so uh, yeah no, yeah <laughs> that metered world that definitely reminds me of the smart world and the uh what is it the agenda 21 uh, right. uh information that i know david ike has talked about for for years um, right. and you definitely can see that happening more and more with people going to it and even cities and municipalities sort of putting that into like electrical systems and things like that for household items. Right. Um, so, so as far as, as history, when we're talking about it, obviously we have the mud flood that, that sort of happened in the 1800s. Um, with that happening, how distorted does our history, as far as what we've been told, get chained or ha ha I'm trying to think of the word that I'm looking for. Um, how did it get changed um, as far as what happened prior to it and sort of what we're being told now? Well, um, to, to put it frankly, every single indigenous religion in this planet had been redacted into something new. No one survived. Um, it's called, called Creole now, you know, it's, it's, there, there's no source to Creole. It's just the, the ones that weren't Latinized, you know, even Hawaiian is a Latin language. Everything is Latin. So before Latin, it is a world that was quite hard to imagine and not all of those books survived, but here's the cool part. This is what's really cool about um, all of this research, honestly. If you start to think about how somebody could lie about history or what actions they would take, you immediately, maybe not immediately, eventually <clears throat> start to conclude there was only so many things that work at all. The most powerful things of all, of course, revelation of method, um, <clears throat> put the lie in front of everyone so that they have to be the ones to call it out. But when it comes to history, you cannot... <clears throat> invent it you cannot create it from scratch that's that was the point behind that movie the usual, usual suspects um that character had to come up with a story 
but couldn't. He had to use the pictures. Uh, nobody can. Nobody can come up with biblical stories. These stories are so <clears throat> unique and and coded that they that they could not. You, you can't make it up. They are based on something real, something that the knowledge of the context of has been lost. So my point is, when you realize that, you see that the frauds, the fraud, the fraudsters of history, the uh, the scavengers, all these people who basically may have known what they're doing, or maybe they're so naive that they really didn't realize what they're doing, um, could not have possibly come up with an art that we could not decrypt later. It's just like music. It's like when you can tell an artist didn't make a song, you just really tell it. Eventually you start to dig in there closer and you find some evidence. Yes, you know, someone else wrote this. Um, this is so true in the Bible. Every time he sees like St. Jerome, you find out actually, no, Jerome was the redactor and it was somebody else that he's, he's copying from or just stealing from. And he's not gonna admit it because he's this horrible guy. You know, he's one of the many horrible people who, who wrote the, uh, the New Testament that we know today. So uh, yeah, rambling a little bit there, but- um, Oh, it's perfectly point, fine. Yeah, back, back to the point, um, basically that primer, that's the one that Fomienko, I believe, honed in on. When I was reading Fomienko's new chronology, I understood it. Um, you you wanna look for the strategy. The, these guys um, could not come up with um, like Alexander, so they, they, they borrowed from other stories of people who are like Alexander, like Jesus. They were like, oh, wow, that guy's so popular. Everyone knows about him. Let's take this one book. It was about him, change the name, change the location. And they did this so often that they've left behind actually grand fingerprints of their, of their fraud. And it is so obvious that when you look at these Eastern researchers studying Western history, I mean, they can't stop themselves from laughing at us. It's really that bad. It's We are living sort of in a fantasy where we believe the historians so much about their version of history and we've never ever looked at it. You know, we just haven't looked at it yet close enough to, to tell. And, and the funniest part of, of this history that we believe is official Scaligerian history, this uh, Rome 2000 years ago, you know, story is that we stole it from another land. That story was from Turkey. And now a lot of Western Europeans think it was from the Middle East. Uh, the Old Testament was from Africa and from Siberia, and they stuck it together. And now a lot of Ashkenazi Jews think it was from Europe. Uh, I mean, we, the history isn't even ours. We stole it from other people. And um, I guess that's what makes it the most ironic. Um, yeah. yeah, good. Oh, no. no I, I was just going to piggyback on that and, and just saying, like, that, that's something that I've definitely seen where where it, where it definitely seems like a lot of the stuff that, we, that we've been told, it all sort of like you mentioned, like piggybacks off of one, one version or another, they change the name. Like I, I right. remember watching the movie uh, zeitgeist years ago. And I remember that, that they, that, that they talked about um, religion a little bit in, in, in Jesus. And, and then they listed like 20 different other figures from other parts of the world that all had the same characteristics yep. of him. Or even we look at the, at the Sumerians, and for me personally, I, I sort of see like a lot of those early civilizations, like the Romans, the the Greeks, and even when when you start looking into into the Bible, it seems like a lot of though their stories, their mythology, all sort of comes from the Sumerians, and, and it and it is a very it's very perplexing, um, but yeah. it also sort of makes you wonder why they kept changing it so many times uh to, it almost seems like they sort of just changed it to fit what they needed at that point in time 
Oh yeah, yeah, it's very pieced together. There's also an element of bias because it involved their own personal families, in particular the Romanov family of Siberia. These guys were involved in the aristocracy for hundreds of years. They were heavily involved in the stories. There was a lot of assassinations. They got threw out at one point. And when the Resort Empire fell in the in 1775, that's when the World Empire finally fell. Some areas declared independence, like in Americas, and other places didn't. Um, these Romanovs, they escaped to the places that didn't, mostly in Europe, and kept telling lies about the places that they escaped from, saying how horrible it was there. And, and they're the ones that came up with the stories like Emperor's, Emperor has no clothes. Those, that whole era of, of storytelling came from this idea that these Romanovs were leaving the Rus Horde Empire, which had just fallen apart, that aristocracy had, was so bad and if the, the and it's a failed, um, you know, we tried it and it failed and now we're, we're, now we're past it as a species. All of that stuff came from this Romanov bias when they were actually heavily involved in, in the failure of the empire. They left and they brought all of their, their um, you know, um, families, their, slave, uh, their slaves, their usury systems of, of money, um, uh, of a central banking system, all that stuff, they spread it to every other country they could. And uh, here in America and Hollywood, you have this, this still today, this Russia phobia, this bias, this heavy bias against Russia, uh, where we're not gonna you know, talk to them or look at them or, or be honest with them at all. And, and once you understand it's because they came from there and they're, they're in denial about who they are because they sort of stole Russian history there, that these Romanovs who more or less own Hollywood and have, have run the show in Hollywood this whole time have been pushing the history we know as a propaganda piece for 200 years now. They've been pushing it more than anyone else. The historians came later and they took the money and stuff and, the, and they went to college and they got into it officially. Sure. Yeah. Now it seems very, very official, but the modern history we know today was really just a propaganda campaign by the Romanovs as they're leaving uh, Eastern Siberia. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely a lot to take in there. Um, and sort of to backtrack a little bit, I know you had mentioned a little bit with, with us uh, taking stuff from like Turkey um, one of the things that came to mind when you're talking about that, especially thinking about like the mud flood, uh, is, is Gobekli Tepe, located in Turkey. Um, I, I don't know how familiar you are with that, uh, um, but but would that be considered? Because um, obviously, I know Graham Hancock has talked about it uh, going back. They, they honestly don't know how far back it goes at this point. Um, would that have been something covered up by the mud flood, or, or do you or, or do you think that? was covered up way before then you know it's really sad about this era uh, this these er I mean, this area and the 20th century is that the so-called ottoman empire uh, sort of an echoing reflection of the resort empire that was still around in the 19th century it was, it was a very good government and it was self-governing it was fine but it got wiped out by the british in world war one and within that war up until world war ii and until modern day i believe that they've been doing aerial bombing campaigns nonstop to destroy these ancient artifacts. To this day, they're being very clever about it. They're not using like, you know, our planes anymore, but ISIS, they went and sent ISIS to Syria and ISIS destroyed a lot of major monuments, even one giant pyramid in recent times, six years ago. Um, believe me, that was not in the interests of Arabs anywhere. That was Westerners destroying these artifacts still. So after a hundred years of this, I can't tell you if it was 200 years ago, 100 years ago, when they decided to destroy them, but they have never stopped destroying them. No doubt. Yeah. And I, and I know I've heard stories like going back even to the most recent war with Afghanistan in the early 2000s, 
that I think when we invaded Iraq, um, that there were stories about not necessarily our soldiers, but but soldiers dressed in all black, destroying tons of uh, ancient Sumerian artifacts in those areas or yep. taking them and looting them. Oh, yeah. So, so, when, if I can. so, so when we're talking about um, that that history in and of itself and these potential groups that are destroying them, what interest would would say these groups want to destroy them is it because that they give a better glimpse into the past or is it something far different than we could even imagine it's the worst reason of all it's like a killer kills somebody in a village and gets away with it but everyone in the village knows it so he didn't really get away with it and so he you know what's it what's he gonna do he's gonna kill anyone who says anything right so these guys aren't really negotiating with us anymore or with these indigenous people countries for example syria do we negotiate with Syria? No, we know how U.S. policy has, sorry, coalition policy has been with Syria in the last 15 years. It's basically, you know, uh, we're deciding that you're terrorists and we're going to decide to shoot you today. Um, same with Russia, ditto. Um, there could be only one reason to treat people this way, and that's because we know we're wrong. Uh, now, here's why. It's very simple. The Rusord Empire was a center of religion in the world for a very long time. And when it fell apart, those Romanovs and many other people took those artifacts and, and the the expensive jewelry stuff and the rich gold stuff and the, the stuff that is worthless except for to historians. They took it all and um, moved it to places where it did not belong. For, like I told you, Palestine and, and the Cobb in uh, Saudi Arabia. These locations were not associated with these religions in the past. Fomenko makes this very clear. But today, we, you know, by the billions, we believe that Jerusalem is in Palestine and Mecca is in Saudi Arabia. So if there really is another Jerusalem out there, if there really is another uh, Kab out there, then that really sort of raises, it, it tears monotheistic religion apart. There's no way better to put it. It will be devastating. It will be questioning everything. Everyone will split. In this world, in this monotheistic religion, you have to have one source for every location. And so you got Saudi Arabia and Israel, also England for the Protestants. Uh, everyone kind of knows their place, right? So we, we, have to, we have to stick with this version of reality. And as soon as we stop saying stuff like the Catholics, you know, source their religion in Rome, in Italy, if we start saying that the Catholicism came from Siberia, Catholicism falls apart. If we say Palestine was in the Kremlin, it was never in the Middle East, then Jude Judaism falls apart. And it's ditto Saudi Arabia. So you see what I'm saying? Um, it's, it's so devastating, these, these locations. And back to Syria, that location, um, you can actually just look at their churches there and you can see exactly why they're so threatening. You got uh, syncret syncretic uh, Islam and Christianity hybridized. They're the same religion there. You got priests that look basically like, like the same, like both of them at once. And like I said, it's because these religions used to be unified in the past. In these regions, more Eastern you go, in Turkey and so forth, Syria, you will find that they're still unified today. So naturally you find that our monotheistic coalition communist um, religion of the West is constantly trying to destroy them, you know, as if they never existed and we are not negotiating. Yeah. Um, so we'll sort of piggyback on the, on the Rusev empire. Cause I, I know I've, I've heard you mention about the, about that being part of Tartaria um, right. and about that being one of the, one of the older empires where everything sort of 
comes from. Um, could you explain a little bit about uh, Tartaria and sort of um, its foundation and sort of when it sort of dissipated? Yeah, you bet. Um, <clears throat> in Fomenko's new chronology, uh, modern humanization, human civilization starts about just over 900 years ago, just under 1,000. Um, that's where AD should be. AD um, isn't the death of some person. It's just the end of the unstable calendar. In the past, in the cataclysmic uh, age of, of Earth, the calendar had to keep shifting as the Earth keep jumping its position in orbit. Um, but after year zero, that's when we had a fixed calendar. Um, <clears throat> at that point, um, we also had a, a lunar solar calendar because the moon became fixed as well. So human civilization basically starts out a thousand years ago. Um, it's now possible to build cities, to harness technology, and to share it um, without you know, your city being destroyed by random cataclysm. And as a result, you start to have organization here on Earth. You got human civilization organizing for, for different reasons, but it's very slow and no one has a reason to. No one's at war yet. We're not warlike species at all. And um, what happens is we have this first religious schism um, occurs in the 11th century. Um, Fomenko uh, points out that there are three secular records, sorry, three records of the, of the events of the early empire. Uh, one is secular, one is Western, one is Eastern Orthodox religion. And so with these, these texts, we can sort of, you know, find the middle ground and say, you know, what really happened? And what happened was this character named Andronicus Christ, who I believe is a giant, a huge guy from the East, came to Turkey, which was the Jerusalem on earth, the most holy location at the time, and basically threatened their religion, their monotheism. He pushed polytheistic religion from the East, and they had a big religious uh, schism forming. They, the story goes that Christ was thrown out of the Holy Land in Turkey and had to come back with a kind of a posse, a bunch of followers who said, you know, we believe in this guy, um, at which point the, the Orthodox Church had to take his threat real seriously. How, what do we do with a guy like this? He's threatening our religion. He's, he's saying we don't have to do stuff like baptism, usury, uh, circumcision, you name it, slavery. He's saying we don't do that in the East, and now we, we're going to have to quit. So to crucify him is sort of the, is, is the move that gets everything back in line. It gets your own people in line. They don't question you anymore. It's, it scares the heck out of everyone else. If they know what happens to these people. And anyone who thinks that maybe you're being unjust for the crucifixion just looks above his head. There's written these four letters that basically says, uh, Christ, King of the Jews, Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth, King of the Jews. So he was crucified for essentially claiming to be the savior that the Jews were waiting for when the previous saviors were all supernatural events like the planet Jupiter or something. And, uh, and usually associated with, with, um, uh, with deities, with gods. This, this guy never, um, well, I don't believe in the secular version that there's any proof of him ever claiming to be God. The, his enemies did that. They did that in order to justify their own action against him. They, they want to string him up and, and try to get nobody to follow him ever again. Um, <clears throat> here's where I, I differ from Fomenko, because I believe that there's this, this need, even in, in his research in the Kremlin, to basically not doubt certain things to be true about the Bible. And one of those things is that Jesus died on the cross. That's held to be a, sanct, uh, a, a sacrament. It's not questionable. Jerome said so. If you question the sacrament, you are, we're going to burn your life. Um, so, you know, for a long time, nobody did, but 
now we're in the in modern times, we can question everything, right? So I say, yeah. there's actually a big reason everyone's saying that. Um, there's all this story about Jesus after he was crucified, tons and tons of story goes on. He goes to the East, he goes to Japan, he goes to places, he even comes to America in the Mormon Bible. So of course, they're going to say that that wasn't him, or that could never have happened. And yes, they ascertained all of those stories to other people, uh, to Muhammad, who in his version, is far more warlike and actually starts raising armies at that point, the armies that would eventually become the crusade. Um, in a uh, well, I forgot my other example there, but um, oh yeah, Alexander, exactly. Alexander uh, traveled the world and founded Alexandria's, but he gave back the land to the people and he, he was almost nonviolent, that kind of stuff. All of that is actually the Jesus story. He walked around all of Europe to Siberia and, and to America with a huge posse that basically said, hey guys, we got the good news, we got the gospel. Um, we don't have to deal with that church is telling us all to do anymore uh, because they don't represent God. And we, we proved it recently, blah, blah, blah. So it's just Eastern schism forming against Western schism that insists on being monotheistic. And, and they still do to this day. So um, that's the basis of, uh, of why the empire formed. It's because uh, us as a species, we're very sleepy. We don't really get riled into things very easily, but because of this religious schism, uh, a lot of people were riled into this crusade, this first crusade. They went to Istanbul and took back the Holy Land from the infidels and, uh, and punished uh, the people who had crucified Jesus. Not their ancestors, like in Scaligerian history, but the actual people who did it. Um, the problem is that by committing warfare um, and defeating their enemy, they're acting a lot like their enemy. Um, it, Fomenko has an opinion that Russians all share, apparently, that the leaders of Russia were never Russian, that the Romanovs were never Russian, they're always foreigners, and that whoever started the camp, the Crusades, whoever created the Russian Empire was not doing it in the best interest of people. They're just moving their empire from its old Reich in, um, in Egypt and Italy to um, a new place in Russia, and I'm sorry, Egypt and Turkey, to a new place in Russia. This was gonna be their headquarters now and they're gonna practice all the same things, um, you know, taxes and stuff, and uh, force everyone to, to worship the Zodiac, um, which, uh, which it sounds weird, right? Why would anyone worship the Zodiac? But you, know, you look yeah. at the King David story, King David, uh, he's a character that never existed in real life. All of his, his uh, adventures are Zodiac signs. Every single thing he did in his life is actually the Zodiac, and they've made it up from the Zodiac. It's, it's a fabrication. You find the same thing with the Jesus story. It, there was a real story that's forgotten, and that was a fake story based on the Zodiac, where he raises people from the dead and, and drinks water and stuff like that, uh, because they're related to each month, and each month is associated with something like, like uh, the rising of a constellation or the coming of rain or something like that. Um, that's Zodiac worship that, that was pushed heavily by the Eastern Rusthorde Empire on everyone at the time. <clears throat> yeah, the, the, that is definitely something I know I've come across finding many different things where, and just even more so here recently, listening to some people where the stars and cosmology have, have played a large portion in these in the stories that we've been told uh, throughout yeah. the years. Yep. Um, to sort of uh, go back to, to the to what you mentioned with Momenko believing that, that what we consider modern history is, is only within the last 900 years. It, for me, it does sort of make a little bit of sense because it does seem like between what we've been told between year one or year zero, whatever you want to call it to like the, to 1000, like it's a very, it's a very scarce area as far as information it just sort of seems like 
like we only know about from what we what we know going back just to the foul or to the early thousands during the crusades and things of that nature right. um with that was there civilizations or humans before or earlier or older than the last 900 years or is that just sort of where everything for us sort of starts um before um the the thousand year period of modern human human civilization um that's when we were still in the cataclysmic age the cataclysmic age got got less and less severe to the point where cataclysms happened a few you know like made 10 or 20 years apart and became more and more infrequent um there, there's also a lot of uh, stories passed from um, from the old uh, events that we don't understand anymore, like Prometheus. That was the event when Prometheus, the sub-god, stole um, technology from Zeus, the main god at the time, and gave it to humans. That sounds awesome, right? But yeah. what, what could that possibly reflect in real life? And, and wouldn't we have learned fire on our own? Well, the truth of that story is actually far more fantastic. Um, and this is, I've heard this opinion, one other person, and it's mostly my opinion as well, but the Prometheus story was the Mars story. And when Mars was leaving its close proximity with Earth for the final time, it did so in, in a very cataclysmic, sorry, cataclysmic fashion, oscillating in these nine close encounter events. Um, these, these nine events recorded in indigenous cultures around the world did not make it into official history, but in these events, um, Mars basically keeps losing its outer shell. It has this outer shell that's very, very unstable. And uh, the inner shell is, um, well, if you believe plants are hollow, and I certainly do, then Mars has a series of concentric uh, shells inside of it. And so does Earth. And when Mars, when the outer shell comes apart, we see the inner shell, which is the, the, what we see left today, uh, the scarred portion, the, uh, the part that looks dark like a liver. In the Prometheus story, you have uh, Prometheus being punished by Zeus. His liver is carved out every day, and then it grows back every day. So the carving out is when Mars lost its outer shell, and the shell uh, attacks Earth, and we get hit by lightning and, and iron. And then every time in every oscillation, it comes back, and it goes back to Mars and rejoins into a full body again. That's the healing that we see. Otherwise, the Greek myth cannot be explained. Why would Prometheus constantly be healing? I mean, sure, it sounds like a torturous punishment, but it, make, it has no bearing in real life. Yeah. And so if, if we look at what, um, at what um, Velikovsky and so forth have been saying, suggesting that we can relate these things to real life if we accept a, a more um, a different type of physics. Uh, physics is basically plasma physics and electric universe um, theory, which has only shown up in the late 90s. It's pretty new. So back in the, in the 20th century, people did not even know about plasma physics when they ruled out all of these events. All right. That is very interesting. Could, um, could you explain what plasma physics is? I know that is something that, that honestly oh, yeah. I've never, never yeah, heard yeah. about. Um, the the uh, physics we know today is mostly Newtonian and relativistic physics. Uh, Isaac Newton suggested that all objects, all atoms in the universe, no matter how far, are attracted to every other atom in the universe quite hard thing to imagine. It's also impossible to simulate. Um, I know that sounds weird, but no, you cannot simulate Newtonian physics, period. It's called the nth body problem. You can look it up on Wikipedia. It's not solved yet. It's because as soon as you try to calculate the positions of two objects, you need to already know the position of their effect on that first object. It's just a 
chicken or egg situation that's built into physics that prevents us from understanding how Newtonian physics even works. We can't simulate it. So maybe, you know, maybe it's wrong. Maybe Newtonian physics was always wrong. Who would agree with me? Isaac Newton. Of course, he said himself that his equations are incomplete and that he doesn't have one for what happens inside of the sphere. In other words, he only had half the equation. But later on, he got Einstein. Again, he said, much to his credit, I don't know if any of my theories relate to real physics, to real world provable in the laboratory physics. And he actually challenged his own followers to, to connect his theories, relativistic theory, to anything real. His followers rejected that, and they rejected many of his other claims, too, because um, <clears throat> Einstein and Sigmund Freud and so forth did say a lot of outlandish things their time and were accused of being racist and so forth. So their followers were, were so dogmatic, they didn't even listened to him. No one listened to Einstein when he was trying to explain to them that his relativistic theory is, is incomplete. So today we don't know how, how planets orbit. We just don't know. In the past, we do know, we did know, they always insisted that there was, that this has all been settled science, that the, the zodiastric astronomers figured it out long ago and there's nothing else to say about it. In modern times, we say, oh, those guys are all wrong. So, you know, they're not wrong, they're right. Their physics is based on a balanced look of the universe, a, uh, a, where there's no, no, where there's no simply a force of attraction. You also have the forces of repulsion. At all times, every planet in every orbit is experiencing a push and a pull to keep it in place. It's, it's not just wielding in this, in this roller coaster orbit by chance. And it's for that reason that we see flat orbits organized. And we see irregular orbits like Mars, which does not follow a circular pattern and kind of bumps when it gets into proximity with other planets. It's still something that's denied by NASA. They still won't agree that's happening. They think that due to the movement of the Earth, we just happen to see Mars bump in the sky. But that doesn't make sense. No, Mars is bumping in the sky because its orbit is bumpy. It pushes against the much bigger electromagnetic fields of much closer planet, of much bigger planets that are near it. So um, so what I'm getting at is that plasma physics or electronic or electric universe theory, which are essentially the same concept, uh, suggests that magnetism plays the central role in all cosmology, <coughs> not gravity. In fact, gravity is a subset of magnetism. Um, <clears throat> and when uh, planets, when they, when they first formed in Saturnian cosmology, they formed in a violent, eruptive fashion. They, they didn't form slowly through accretion, but by attacking each other and getting entangled in each other and ripping their outer layers out and making it into our mythology as horrible stories we can't understand. Kronos eating her children and then Zeus coming out of her belly and, and killing her and just crazy stories. Like they don't make sense if they're, if they're people or monsters, but they do make sense if they're planets. And that, that's what's suggested there. Yeah, that, that, that is very interesting, uh, thinking of that. Uh, one of the things that, that, that I thought of when you were mentioning about how, uh, mentioning about Mars getting close to us and causing cataclysms reminded me of, of the, of Zachariah Stitchin and the Sumerians with, with Planet X and Nibiru. Right. Um, would, could, in that situation, uh, when Stitchin is talking about Nibiru, is, is he, are we still potentially talking about another planet or, or are we just misinterpreting that as, as Mars at that point? Well, um, <clears throat> I felt really heavily for the Nibiru myth around 2014, um, to ask anyone I know. And I, I you know, suggested 
that maybe that was the reason that our world is getting so crappy all of a sudden that things that we only thought were happening in movies are not happening in real life. You got people on the street saying it's going to be the end of the world and we just don't know what to make of it. So I was looking for the explanation and they're giving us one. And it was just so easy to just accept it. Like, oh, there's all this um, associative proof here, inductive reasoning, but no, no slam dunk, but you may still have to take it on faith. So that's when I, I started to realize as they took me on the roller coaster through Flat Earth and a bunch of other ones that wait a second, we have to expect this a little bit. These guys who are controlling these myths, this history, are going to put something fake out for us to see first. They have to. It's, the only, it's their only play. If they weren't to do this, we'd be seeing the real people all the time. So Planet X took a lot of prominence in 2014. But you know what? I'm going to tell you, that really caught my interest that year. It's not like it was there the you know, previous year. It wasn't there the last 10 years of the internet. We've been around. So what happened in 2014? Something really weird happened. We almost went to war with Russia. Everyone kind of forgets, but um, we, we, you know, they're bristling. They took over Crimea and then we were like, oh, that's it. We're invading them. And uh, we, we tried to assassinate Putin. You know, I don't think anyone realized that we tried to do that. He survives and um, fights back. So um, there, that was a really crazy time for our species. And during that time, all this stuff came out and I, I, don't, I couldn't figure out why. Is this explanation? Because it's too wacky. And then one night, actually two nights in a row, over my house in Mesa, Arizona, I saw this triangle flying over at like 2 a.m. And a total UFO sighting It's actually called the lights of Arizona. It's, you can see a documentary. They're very well known in documents, these triangles. And it, it just, it's, it got to me later when I realized that I'd been had, that somebody's using this Planet X thing against our US military. You know, our U.S. military would love nothing more right now than to save America from the weird sort of communist invasion that's occurring. And every time they try to do anything like say, hey, you know, there's a bunch of suppressed technology in our bunkers. We want you to know about it. There's all this already this pre-planned sort of narrative um, that that will just automatically be launched out. And people like me will say, oh, I know what's going on here. You know, you're part of the the Nibiru invasion and, and the, uh, you know, the, uh, the elite aliens who are here to blah, 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 tell us in preparation, all those narratives that we've heard before. Um, it, it just, you know, it, it struck me that our U.S. military is helpless. They can't fight back against narratives like that. They can't push their own propaganda. And they certainly can't say something like, we, the alien theory is wrong, but there are still Martians. You know what I'm saying? It's so yeah. freaking thin that as soon as they admit to anything, somebody else out there is going to execute some kind of prefab narrative and it's just going to take them over that, you know, that's, that's, that's what I realized back then. So I got really scared and I realized this isn't fun and games anymore. You know, whoever's pushing the Debira thing is out, is out to distract us during a time when we really need to be looking close to the ground and, and trying to decide what's really, really real. Because if it's going to be Nibiru, it might as well be time travel. It might as well be Mandela effect technology. It might as well be all of the unexplainable you know, narratives we've heard, which will get us nowhere, which are just another religion to believe in at the end of the day. No, yeah, no doubt. And you definitely have seen that, seen that happening more so over the last couple of years uh, with everything sort of being, being shown one thing and then something else sort of happens uh, behind the scenes of that, 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 that we, uh, that we're not privy to. Um, right. They don't want us to be privy to. Um, so, 
so getting back onto the the alternate history aspect um so so as far as the the stories that, that we've been told from what it sounds like is basically all the stories that are sort of that we've been led to believe whether it comes from the bible um to to the greeks to the romans um all the way up to to even last couple hundred years it all sort of has the same origins just being retold differently from a different perspective is that correct yeah i agree with that um it's also the lessons in the stories that they're trying to hide from us you know you look at history as it is it's pretty sterile there are no lessons we appear to be a warlike species can't help ourselves constantly leaving women and children going off to countries killing other men women and children um games like age vampires warcrafts constantly reinforcing these ideas um so yeah what is it with us are we really like this you know we look at our wars closely you know world war one and two we see vietnam we, we see that no soldier ever pushes that narrative that's complete nonsense so our history hasn't just been rewritten for the purposes of hiding it. It's been rewritten in such a way that reinforces the future they want for us. The one where we can't follow any leaders because we're all going to turn to Hitler and cause war. Uh, we can't you know, um, have our own property and stuff because we're all just going to become gun-toting you know, um, leeches on society. And um, we need to sort of accept due to our overpopulationness this sort of agenda um, that, that puts us all in our place and takes care of us for the rest of our lives. So our, our history is telling us that in so many ways. It's showing us that like in polio, you know, a vaccine saved everyone, that we need to give the federal government more control. Real history says no, the vaccine came out years after polio was over. Um, they, they just don't tell us the truth of any of these histories correctly. They give us all the details. They shove it, shove it through our brains in school till you're sick of it. And by the time we're ready to analyze it, you know, we can't tell why it matters, one version or another, what, you know, to cancel the vaccine before or after. Most people wouldn't care about that. And they certainly wouldn't accuse the government of some sort of mass propaganda conspiracy to push vaccines. They wouldn't, they wouldn't go there. They just, you know, in our nature, we don't think like the deep state. We are actually very not warlike species. No, yeah, and, and I definitely, I, I can definitely relate to that or see that, especially when, when we talk at talk about what we've been told like with hunter gatherers really yeah like like war is almost sort of a i would say a modern invention to a certain extent obviously totally. if we sort of look at everything looking at it as this narrow narrow scape in the last 900 years it definitely seems like it's like war itself is is definitely pushed more and more and it is to a, to a point where where it is glamorized. Um, I know I've yeah. talked with a few people um, with like pre, what is it? Preconditioning um, us to, 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 to when this does happen, it doesn't shock everybody that they just sort of go back to eating their McDonald's and just thinking it's <laughs> thinking it's one thing with, um, yep. that, that they're used to. Um, so, so the 900 years, can you explain um, how Fomenko sort of, narrowed down everything to, to what we know to just only happening in the last 900 years instead of the last 4,000 years or however long totally, uh, yeah. we know. Yeah, he, um, he used math. That's the big deal with Fomenko is that he figured out sort of a math way to, to uh, reorganize history. And it's not, the, it's not the way you'd expect where you just line up the numbers. 
the assumption is that the numbers are all wrong. For one reason or number, another, different civilizations use different calendars and different origin years. So straight up, you can't just match the years. But instead, he came up with a system of uh, matching the order of events in stories. While it sounds kind of weird, um, it's, it's sort of like making a blueprint of a story that you can match up to an, a totally unrelated story and say, wait a sec, that is the same story. And without this technique, it's just, it's too, it's beyond anyone to see it unless you know the story real well. So instead of knowing all the stories real well, he put every story into a map where the order of events that happened in the map uh, are reflected by certain um, symbols. And those orders, the ordered symbols are compared to each other. When he did this, he discovered that there were copies, phantom copies throughout our history where stories were copied and moved and shifted to another timeline. Um, without this proof, I don't think he'd really have much that's convincing. But because he found this not just once or twice, but consistently throughout our entire history, to the point that he was willing to create a new history, which he calls the new chronology, that, that's where you can, you can be convinced by Fomenko. You, you read his stuff, you say, wow, that's how he did it. That's pretty impressive. Some people say, that's not impressive. That's not a way to do things. That's, you, know, you, can't, you can't do history by math. You have to use artifacts or you have to use carbon dating. And, and that's, that is their dogma. You know? So some people won't accept it. But like I said, it's very convincing if you read it. Yeah, no doubt. And I definitely, I, I know I've come across stuff where, especially when it comes to carbon dating, it sort of has its own fallacies to it with some things as far as the actual oh, yeah. proper dating to it. Uh, so so when we're sort of looking at, at everything here, um, like what are some of the, the events, let's say over the last 200 years that, that, that have sort of caught your eye um, and, and sort of made it stand out to, to where the powers that be were using that event um, to sort of tweak history to to manipulate it. Um, totally. Uh, there's, there's two events that really stand out to me in the, in the West Coast, uh, America, and that's um, Roswell and uh, the Battle of L.A. Now, everyone's heard of Roswell, and nobody really knows what to think about it anymore because it's been obfuscated to death. Uh, there's so many versions of it, and now there's like live PSYOP events happening, like like the one that happened two years ago, yeah. which was a failure, apparently. Um, so no one even knows what to think about. It's been such a clown show. But the original version of Roswell is, of course, very interesting. Just read the uh, the dialogue from the um, farmer whose farm the disc fell on. You'll find out that um, you know this farmer never expected to have such crap from finding something like this. He got he got suppressed and censored and treated like crap by the by the government who stole his his thing, which is he thought it was his. You know, belonged to him, fell in his land and then lied about it. But back then everyone sort of knew it happened. So, so what is with our government? You know, why are they so paranoid about these flying saucers? Why have they not reported them until literally starting two years, one year ago, they started reporting them. And, and the answer is because th um, this has all happened very recently. And the people who, who accidentally caused these events to occur did not have time to cover them up sufficiently. In fact, these events were blown open. They're uncoverable. The, the first one is Roswell, and that's because we've all heard of it. You know, They made that fantastic movie in 1995, Independence Day, all based on Roswell, just so it can get through our heads. And, and I remember kids in the audience saying, I can't believe we're allowed to talk about this now. It was really funny, but it was interesting social phenomenon at the time too, that we're being allowed to talk about it. 
And, and that's because that's how long it took for them to finally cover it up. The one that they never could cover up, Battle of LA. You go read that story. And that happened, uh, I think, two years before Roswell or, or one year after, I forget. Um, I think it was one year after Pearl Harbor, 1942. Um, and, and what happened was um, this, uh, this light appeared in the sky over Los Angeles. The soldiers saw it immediately with the spotlights and started firing on it. For two hours, they're firing on the spot in the sky. And for two hours, they did no damage. Their shrapnel fell to the ground. This is all official stories. It's not you know, conspiracy land at all, actually. And, um, and they didn't find anything else falling to the ground, just their own shrapnel from their own shells. Some people died on the ground from heart attack, from, hit, from being hit by shrapnel. And um, the official explanation is that the soldiers are firing at a spot created by their own spotlights, that they're simply, um, you know, they're just unaware of what they're doing. For, they're firing for two hours by accident. If you look at the photos, you can see there's, there's something in the sky, and these soldiers weren't paranoid of lights in the sky. They're paranoid of Japanese attacks. They, they just heard about Pearl Harbor happening. So when they start firing at things in the sky, they don't care if it looks like a Japanese plane. They're going to fire at it. And, um, and that's where I think there was a mistake, a huge mistake. This event, Battle of LA, was never supposed to happen. Um, something else was supposed to happen, um, and I can guess what it is, a Japanese air raid. Right? There's supposed to be a Japanese air raid on LA. Everyone was expecting it right before World War II, and they need a trigger to happen. Instead, you get this, this weird alien event. And after the Battle of LA, you get the science fiction industry created in LA in the same location. Uh, this, this propaganda industry, whose entire purpose for the last 100 years is to make us not believe in aliens, period. Uh, it's like that's their, that's their ground zero for... for exposure they had to do something and they created hollywood as we know it so so this event it really spelled it for me somebody's messing with this planet They're, they have ufos and advanced technology they're not so advanced they haven't been here for millions of years or thousands they're a couple hundred years ahead of us and they're actually very desperate and they screwed up many many times so they got shot down in roswell they screwed up the battle of la and um every time there was a war they ended up trying to be the victors of the outcome it occurs to me that if you look at all of the wars in the 20th century, nobody was the victor, not, not any time. It was big, big stalemate one after the other, and nobody got what they wanted. So the point is, um, yes, somebody's been trying to get us to go to war this whole time, and it feels like we here on Earth did not want to go to war at all. In a trench war from World War I, we did not want to fight. We built big trenches. In World War II, we refused to get involved non-interventionalism until the giant the giant bombing planes were suddenly invented out of nowhere. These huge B B-27s that could just drop napalm and destroy all of Europe. Again, that shows us that we didn't want that war. We didn't want to do it. Some kind of weird technology was formed to automate the process so that war would become automated so that we'd just have to get out of its way and accept the results. And uh, I think, like I said, that's a pretty good explanation of, of uh, or I think that points to the explanation of of um, you know, um, interplanetary yeah, events, the interplanetary influence. Well, okay. Yeah, yeah. I've definitely heard of the the Battle of Los Angeles. Surprisingly, that that was on Ancient Aliens, which is a show that that, that that I used to watch quite a bit. Uh, considering yeah. that, that there's obviously with most media, they're, they're always going to put in some truth in there, and that, and that was something that I exactly. heard about that I. 
that I thought was a very, very interesting event where, like you said, and I don't even think it was just the the military. It was civilians like within L.A. that that reported on that as well. So so it really wasn't something that that could easily have been covered up. Yeah, it was a major uh, exposure. Big one uh, to that. So, so if we sort of piggyback sort of on that war aspect, obviously, I, I know that you mentioned with us not wanting to get into war, World War One, World War Two. I, I know that we were really big. Uh, the U.S. was really, really adamant about not getting into it. Um, I know that there, there was other countries around the world that were adamant not about getting into it. And obviously, if if you go into go to Hitler's backstory he gets really big into occultism and, and looking oh, yeah. for stuff uh, oh, yeah. outside of the planet which is definitely something to, for an entirely different conversation but if we look like prior to the 19th century with the first two world wars and we sort of go into say the the the, the american revolution or even like the war of 1812 or war of 1812 or even as recent as the the civil war um with those, do you think that those wars were set up for other means when it comes to manipulating history then? Oh, yeah. Um, the Revolutionary War is, is quite questionable. Um, it's just a series of minor battles that allegedly uh, influenced the, um, the government that would be formed later. Um, it doesn't really add up. And then there's a bunch of um, weird side explanations like the tornado that saved Washington in the Battle of D.C., where a tornado just came out of nowhere and destroyed the British. So it's not just your everyday war. Um, and they're not your everyday explanation. When I say it doesn't add up, I literally mean the story itself, that a, that a British empire, which hadn't been around for very long, um, uh, had a bunch of colonies that rebelled against it. And yet those colonies did not involve the people who were already living in America and their existing governments. They just sort of ignored them and pretended that they never existed. Uh, that doesn't make sense. What does make sense is what Fomenko says. He says that the American Revolution was a tiny part of a much bigger falling apart of the Rousseau Empire in, 19, in 1775, and that America was experiencing a civil war against uh, against Siberia. We were like, we're no longer going to be ruled by you. We declared that independence against Russia, not against England. And it is the historians that get that wrong. They think that the British Empire is the same old Reich Empire as the Rousseau Empire because they have the same symbols with the eagle and the the uh, obelisks in, in London. Yeah, they, are, they are, have the same symbols because they're part, London was a small part of a much bigger world empire. And that's the explanation. So once you plug that explanation in there, you see that the Revolutionary War, as it's called, should not be called a war because there wasn't much of a war. And it was occurring during the falling apart of an empire, which isn't so much about who wins on the battle on the ground, but you know, what are we going to do about the massive power vacuums? Are we going to declare independence like America did? Or are we going to do what... Um, you know, Australia allegedly did, Japan allegedly did, and sort of just remain vassal to England forever. You know, like, like, why would they do that? Yeah. Yeah. I know for, for me, I, I, I had a teacher years ago that, that brought up a, brought up a good point, especially not necessarily with the Rusev empire. I'm um, so obviously, I think but that, that is still a fairly new concept. Like I said, I had never heard of it up until right. yeah. last year, but I know he had his questions about how a at the time when you're thinking of it england had the largest and most powerful army the 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 planet had seen at that time going up against uh literally just ragtag militias which 
um, which he and had questions about how that could even happen. Right. And obviously you, you hear stories happening all the time with like guerrilla warfare tactics and things like that. But, but it made me wonder whether or not the, the revolution or what we consider the American revolution wasn't already pre-planned for us to even win it from the beginning. It just sort of blew my mind when he made that, 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 that idea when he spoke to me about it, it just made me think like that is, that is an interesting concept to think about how a literally a ragtag group of, of people can, can defeat a, a standing, standing empire and a standing military. Yeah, exactly. Without the help of the indigenous people that they're sort of ignoring. Yeah. Um, so, so if we fast forward, um, let's say to, to even, uh, the 1800s, um, well, when we're looking at sort of the wars that happened then, um, we'll look at the, at the, at the civil war. What was that even what, what, it, what we're told it was obviously that's within the last 160 years now, give or take. Right. Um, or was that sort of rewritten as well? Cause that sort of falls right around that time of, of the mud flood itself. Well, here's what I think happened. Um, <clears throat> the War of 1812 was the war that changed everything. And it could be considered the first world war because it was a world war, except that historians consider it to be two unrelated wars, one occurring between the colonists and the British after they've declared independence, and the other one occurring between Napoleon and Russia at the exact same time. Uh, so, you know, just like, let's, let's you know, make, simplify this. Napoleon was in America. He was in both sides of the planet. And he, his, King Louis was here before him, and they founded many places here in America. And they, they actually built stuff like small Eiffel Towers up in the north in Oregon that are still there today. But, um, <clears throat> but the point is, that was a world war, 1812, the first one. It should be called World War I, World War I, but it isn't. Some people call it World War Zero for that reason. And uh, <clears throat> what, it, was, it was so devastating that it may have resulted in the mud flood. It's right there at the beginning of the mud flood timeline. The Civil War is at the end of the mud flood timelines, right there in the 60s, 1860s, after the 40-year uh, period's over, when life is considerably reorganized. I, I was looking a lot at the orphan trains, and this is a whole area of research, orphan trains in America and Europe. They sprung up in the 19th century with the trains, and for whatever reason, there was a tremendous amount of orphans throughout both continents that needed homes. They were sent on these trains with notes. The notes are very explicit. You can look them up today. And they say things like, we have boys and girls that are very useful for farming and stuff. You know, let us know how many you need. And if you do anything wrong, we'll take them back and sign the society. I always called the society. Um, these orphan uh, instructions were the basis of the entire civil war segregation. Um, we always were told that black people were in the south in the plantations. And white people mostly either owned the plantations or lived up north. And in these notes, in these orphan trains, you actually see that they say instructions, black babies go to the south and white babies go to the north. They literally say in the instructions that the black people will be used for farming and that the white people will be used for indoor instruction and education. And just they're telling them exactly what they're going to be here in the 19th century. These documents exist. And the orphan train thing is not a conspiracy. It's a, it's a well-known thing. You can find documentaries on it. So... So I say um, the Civil War isn't at all what they say it is. They made it seem like the, the Americans took advantage of, uh, of a slave trade that you know, they didn't create, but they bought the slaves. 
10%, you know, of wealthy landowners bought the slaves and then got all this wealth out of them um, in their plantations, which then after about 60 years of that leads to a civil war. That's the official history. Um, in, in reality, um, the uh, federal government, which had almost no power after the Declaration of Independence and had a very limited power after the Constitution was written, still wanted more power. That's official. We all know the federal government wanted more power and that they took more power in the Civil War. That still is the final reason why it happens. No, no other reason but that one. They want a central authority of America and they contrived this war to do it. Um, how they do it, very simple. They raised an army and they attacked the South. That's again, official. There's no question to that. Now, we can believe that that action is correct. That's the right thing to do to, to raise an army and march it into another country, part of the country and, and do a shock and awe campaign if you think somebody's wrong. But of course, that led to American adventurism that we all know how it ended in the 20th century and everyone agrees is such a terrible thing today. So let's just remember that it was a terrible thing in the Civil War for anyone to do that. That shock and awe campaign was devastating. Those, the guns that they gave those black soldiers um, were so poorly built that they could never fight back and rebel against their people, yet they were so scary, you never want to be shot by them because you get lead poisoning. The cannons that they dragged across the fields did not work. Plenty of documentaries show that the Black um, Army was treated horribly. They were treated worse than slaves. They were, they were whipped and sent to the South to fight. So that's the reason why the Civil War happened, because somebody set up a separation of the races on purpose only 60 years prior, with the, with the intent, with the intent of eventually using it to take over all of America. This exact same thing happened in the French Revolution. Black people were imported from Egypt. The, in the middle of the revolution, the French people got upset. They said, you're diluting the vote. And they started killing the aristocracy. It was really bad. Here in America in modern day, uh, we constantly see accusations of immigration for the purposes of diluting the vote. Uh, it always sounds like it's conspiracy theory, but the point is we've been arguing about these same things for over 200 years now. And it doesn't matter if they're real or not, but they are part of our history. Yeah, like the real part, like whether you believe that, that racism is an element of the government or if you think it's just naturally something that humans do. No, our history shows that the government was always the one behind the policies for 200 years now. That is not in question. And whether or not the people the 90% of the people who did not own slaves are, are inherently racist to the point they need to be defeated and have all their land taken away from them is still very much a topic of debate today in our modern politics between Democrats and Republicans. So, you know, it has not gone away, has not been solved yet. No, yeah, that, that is definitely a very good point. Uh, it sort of seems like, like we've been stuck in this very... Yeah, we don't want to be racist, but somebody yeah. has made it that way. The very weird slick. Sl I can't even pronounce. I can't even think. It's pronounce the word that I want to want to say, <laughs> but almost like in this very this cycle where everything is sort of just constantly being spun around and around, and it's the same thing over and over again. Um, so, so when we're sort of looking at, as you mentioned, like the government controlling everything and sort of pitting everybody against against everybody, and I, and I think it's. Most people that are probably listening to this and, and have probably listened to similar podcasts all would probably all agree that that the government is very divisive and very, very opportunistic and very power hungry. Yeah. With everything. Um, when we when we're sort of looking at that and sort of relating it to, to the alternate or to this alternate timeline 
and manipulation of the timeline. Uh, is it the same people that, that are that are in control now when we're talking about the those top one percent or even the people beyond that? Um, are these the same people that that have been at the at the forefront controlling everything? for the last 900 years or have they sort of like passed the baton off to other people? Well, I certainly believe that power structures um, is built in layers, many, many layers. And the more you got, the, the safer you are. Uh, we, you know, these, these families that we keep accusing of having all this power, they're, they're nothing more than puppets. Um, if they didn't want to do the job, they'll find another family. It's as simple as that. Um, so we accuse people like Elon Musk or, or Bill Gates of being power hungry. And we don't realize how easy it is to squeeze people like that to take over every aspect of their life, and even hell, find someone else to pretend to be them. Just anything it takes to to rule the aristocracy. Oldest tricks in the book, stuff that's been used for hundreds of years. Um, it's that easy. Once you realize that, then you know you stop blaming these people and you start to look for you know uh, what what are they doing with the hero worship thing? They're trying to to make it so that we never you know follow any leaders. Uh, that we always the ways don't think the leaders are going to lead us anywhere essentially yeah so so when we're sort of looking at that um obviously i, I know for me personally i like we always hear of like like the the rothschilds the right. um and for whatever reason i can't think of the other other people that always that always follow with Rock. that as well yeah rockstars um, um, but but with that, obviously, we would consider them the one percent. I know for me personally, I I think that there's somebody beyond that, sort of right. controlling everything and pulling pulling their strings right. to a point. Would those be um, the the Martians that we talked about earlier, or, or would it be something else? Yeah, I believe that humans on Mars have been doing this for a long time, long long before they invented any kind of space travel. They still have the ability to communicate. It's very easy when the plants, plants are in proximity, all energy transfers. Um, if you have a cathedral set up, cathedrals are perfectly designed to collect energy. They are, they'll protect you during a, a cataclysmic life lightning storm. You'll also be able to hear visions, see visions within them if, 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 you're, if they're being received at a time. Now, this stuff is, is kind of over these days, and these cathedrals no longer function, though some interesting things do happen to them during lightning storms. But anyway, um, in the past, you know, thousand years, I do believe that humans on Mars represented almost every telepathic experience associated with a saint or a um, deity. You know, everyone from Joan of Arc to um, to the Islamic prophet that that um, predicted the apocalypse in 1666. Every one of these people in history that has received visions. Um, and we just don't know where the hell these stories came from. They probably did receive vision. They probably received an actual message from, from, from a person on Mars. So just a human, but they're extremely good at, you know, um, appearing a certain way, a lot of uh, prominence, you know, a lot of light and energy and being very demanding. Maybe they have a strong, powerful, deep voice, something like that. And people in the past were easily, were, were either convinced or they weren't. There was actually a ton of people who were not convinced and you see this in the Quran, you see the stories of the genies or the jinns. They, um, you know, most people thought it was a bad idea that these, um, whoever gets the genie is going to inevitably betray the society they came from. And this is mostly true. This is what the genies wanted in those stories. They said, we'll offer you 
uh, power and wealth, you'll be the king of your own people if you do what we say. That, that was the idea. So um, constantly we're seeing, we're seeing this influence, this kind of call of Cthulhu influence that is beckoning to earth. And then we see all these secret societies forming and they, they're doing everything that the voice tells them to do. And then we see events like 1812, where, where they're vindicated, where they survived in the cathedrals, all of their enemies were wiped out. And, you know, they're right to see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil this whole time. In modern time, you see people constantly acting like that, like, like they're almost expecting another apocalypse to show up and that they're going to be the winners of it the, just because they stayed out of anything considered evil, you know, by the church or by, you know, society. Because happened before. Yeah, I could definitely agree with that. Uh, when we're sort of looking at, at the alternate history here, um, so sort of talking about it being a more of a cosmic scale, um, when we're talking about things like like Mars, obviously, if if modern history for, for us as humans is only the last 900, is that the same with what we would believe in, in the grand scheme of things, like in the cosmos as well, or... Or does it go, or does the, the universe, or is that, or, or is the universe older than 900 years itself? Does Vaminko actually talk about anything beyond just No, nah, he's quite a secular. Planet, or, or does he go? No, nah, he stays on secular topics. He does not talk about plants. And, uh, and uh, Velikovsky doesn't venture many guesses when it comes to that stuff. He just talks about what evidence he has in front of him. Uh, my guess, um, based on what I understand from the electric universe, is that a solar system is sort of like a giant womb. And when it's full of planets, you know, it's, it's active. Uh, when those planets die, which they inevitably really do, uh, Earth will lose its, um, its water, <clears throat> its, um, its mass, its heat, its thickness. It'll, it'll sort of wither away and become lighter. When that happens, the EM field uh, gets um, lighter too. This probably happened in maybe 5,000 years or so, next 5,000 years. Um, it will drift to the outer solar system along with the rest of the planets. When enough plants have drifted to the outer solar system, where there's actually tons of dead planets, um, the, this solar system becomes ripe for another explosion of life. And, all, and like a magnet, it attracts the biggest dead substance out there capable of life. Last time it was the planet Saturn. Next time it will be something just like Saturn, a L-type brown dwarf, which is essentially like a sun, lots of hydrogen, helium, but not very hot where it's not very bright, still generating more heat than it takes in. But Saturn is still true today. Saturn still generates more heat than it takes in twice as much. So anyway, um, after the Earth dies, and which is natural, that will be the trigger for the next birth of plants in the solar system. It will be just like before, big painful cataclysm with a golden age, beautiful age that comes to an end, and a horrible dark age that makes everyone question everything, and then a time of you know, peace and quiet where there's no more cataclysm, which lasts a very long time. Okay. That's, that's the cycle. That, that is a very interesting cycle. It, it definitely, when we talk about that, it sort of reminded me of like the shifting poles and then me reading uh, an unclassified CIA book. I think it, I can't remember the guy's first name. I think it's by Chan where he relates everything back to, to the seven day theory. Um, but it's a very interesting read with that. Where yes. everything sort of happens and cycles about every five thousand years, um, so we should be so lucky. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so when we're sort of looking at at history and everything sort of being covered up, manipulated, um, I know we maybe touched a little bit about about it earlier. I, I can't remember if we did, but 
But what would be the the sole purpose behind manipulating um, history in and of itself? Would it is it something where where the powers that be, these Martians, don't want us to to realize our full potential, or or is it something else? Yeah, um, it's really as simple as it sounds and mundane as it sounds, and we see it in everyday life when somebody commits a crime their behavior changes, they become paranoid and they start persecuting others and they, they sort of want to fish out any potential enemies that they'll eventually have. Um, these guys are no different. Uh, they've, they've made crimes throughout history and they just do not see any way of negotiating this. They have to win at the end of the day. Now, maybe one guy out of the group stops feeling that way and changes their mind and evolves. Everyone else in the group still feels that way. See what I'm saying? It's, it's the collective and the collective uh, decrees that this is the only way forward. Would they all love to quit? Would they all love to stop fighting us finally and just live in peace forever? Maybe, but we'll never know because they are they represent the absolute center of communism in this whole system. The, the whole collective, the, the way we all act, how we act communist, how we can't think for ourselves, how we follow orders, all the way to the top, all the way to the last stakeholder. I guarantee it. And there isn't a single one of them that could stop it. Even if they wanted to, they would simply be replaced if they tried. So it's, it's a very unfortunate situation that the species is in. And I don't think that they were ever going to stop because they, they had benefited too much and they're too afraid of, of any kind of retribution, any shape or form, even just you know people knowing about it. That's what I think. No, yeah, and it's definitely, uh, I know it's in, <laughs> the very interesting times that we're in now and especially with that collective mindset but that, that, that yeah. you're sort of seeing that. And I mean, you can see it on both both the left and the right at, at oh, times. Yeah. And I think it's oh, more yeah. so you see it more on the left now than anything. Um, but, but it's very interesting. I mean, when we start looking at things like you sort of see what's happening in Canada with, with the trucker convoy, yeah. where, where they're trying to push that as evil. Um, or, <laughs> I mean, you even look at here now, I mean, you look at, at, at Joe Rogan being ostracized to a point where we're basically they're, they're trying to get him canceled for, for any reason that they possibly can. And, yeah, and, it, saw that. and it is a very, very sad, sad thing to think about. Like if we do go down that route of, 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 of communist rule, if, if that's yeah. what it ultimately goes down to like, like history, I know a lot of people from what I've read, people say that history doesn't repeat it always rhymes and it sort of seems like like we're heading down that path again um but it does seem like with these things that are that are happening more so in canada um and people here in the u.s and, and i wouldn't say just the u.s but around the world sort of standing up to it's a lot of a lot of the government overbearance um especially with, with the mandates that have been implemented implemented over oh yeah over the the last year now is definitely very something to be be enlightening uh for everybody um so so we'll sort of try to hopefully end this on a on a on a, on a bright note so so with everything that you've come across with with the with the manipulation of of history um and everything where do you sort of see humans now sort of going into the future is it as bleak as what we're led to believe or or do we have that that dawn after the night hmm. 
I, oh, I'm, I'm very optimistic about the future um, simply because there's nothing I've seen in any of this that leads me to believe that it's going to continue. I mean, this is like the end. This is why we're receiving all this information. Now it's all available. We can talk about it. It's because, you know, this was supposed to be too late. This was after the plans were already well in motion. And it seems to me that there was a plan, you know, agenda 2030, agenda 2021, 20, all of those types of, of uh, research topics point to the plan. And that it seems to me that the plan was absolutely averted. Uh, the, the reason why is not because, you know, some hero out there, it's actually has more to do with us evolving as a species. If you see the entire human race as a one body, you see that every little virus that affects us, it's just a matter of time before the antibodies are formed. Those antibodies form naturally, just a matter of being you know, punished and tortured enough to actually go through it. And then, oh, now I can fight back. And this is completely natural. And so the ways we have to fight back are, are really abstract. Like, you know, should we wear a mask or not? And, and if we had to go through it to generate the antibodies, now we have them. Now, now they're spreading through our, our species, not the real ones about the virus, but the hypothetical mental uh, psychological antibodies that prevent us from being such peons. They, they are spreading and they're, we're getting to the end of many of these, these conversations. Uh, people like are saying stuff like, you know, it took the, the virus to make us want to start caring about people and, and, you know, please do this and please wear a mask and stuff. We shouldn't stop that, right? We should continue to care after the pandemic's over. There's using every last thing as a revolution. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, had a point earlier, but I'm trying to remember what it is. The main reason I'm optimistic is because I don't think that the plans, oh yeah, it's because the plans have basically been turned on themselves at this point by the people who were so aware of them. A good example is that movie, The Children of Men. Yeah, that movie came out in the early 2000s. It was very mind-blowing, showed us our future. Uh, we didn't know what to make of it then. A, a lot of us, you know, reviewing the movie thought it's at least as good we make movies like this because, you know, we know what, what we could be, we could get this bad and, and we're looking out for it. And then later on, uh, I started, you know, having a really sinking feeling that movies like this are actually created just to desensitize us towards the plan that they're, they're creating, which is true. That's revelation of method. It's very powerful. But at the exact same time, the fact that we had the movie children of men that we talked about it and thought about it and got afraid of that future. And we started saying stuff like, Hey, we're actually doing this stuff to people is itself the antibody. It, it's, it's enough for us to evolve past this loop, to get past it and say, no, no, no we're, not doing that. we're not doing that anymore. We're not gonna treat people that way. We're not gonna be driven into a panic. You know, uh, Tom York makes that song, Ill Wind. He's trying to warn us, don't fall into the ill wind. You know, here's what you have to do to stay out of it. And uh, I think we did it. I think if you look around, we've avoided World War III and we prevented the, uh, the COVID from being what it was gonna be. Yeah, I think we definitely survived this apocalypse. And um, we, had, we lost a lot of people along the way, sure, but um, Trump said it before he left office. He said, the best is yet to come. And I don't think he would say that if he didn't mean it. This is what these guys really believe, that this is the final fight. This is it. We're, we're, you know, they're, they're, all of the weapons are loaded and all of the, and, you know, the, the tricks are being executed at once. And we're feeling it, you know, but we're, yeah. not, falling, we're not falling for it. We're not falling for it. And that's yeah. why I'm this. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I definitely, I think, uh, they, they, it seems like they've played their hand way too much, especially over the last couple of years. And sort of instead of us being that, that frog slowly rising right. up the temperature, it seemed like they just decided to crank it all the way up. And I definitely agree. It's and, and hopefully 
we're, we're sort of at the ends of everything and, and hopefully that they don't, they, 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 I won't say they haven't lost their power completely, but hopefully um, we do get to that point. Um, but we'll sort of end things uh, there on more yeah. of, a, of a brighter side <laughs> is always what I like to do with having guests on instead of trying to end it on a, on a very abysmal note. Um, right. Um, before we uh, sign off here, uh, Ari, um, would you like to tell the guests anything that you're, that you're working on, anything upcoming and where they can uh, check your work out at? Hey, but I'm, I'm definitely uh, still working on my mud flood video. This is a video putting together a hypothetical for what happened, why, how, who, where, you know, all that kind of stuff. And um, it's just been delayed uh, this whole time, but I'm going to try to do it next month or so. Um, to check out my work, go to paradigmthreat.net. There's also a link to the Discord on there. You can come into our Discord. We have a lot of people these days, a lot, a lot of investigators, you know, sharing stuff. It's been really interesting. I saw a video today of a uh, two, two uh, mountains that looked exactly like a couple, a, a giant couple who were hugging, embracing, you know, as they're petrified or something. People are just now sharing all of this material. And it's just, a, you know, I think it's a wonderful time to be a researcher. So definitely check it out. No problem. Uh, definitely. We, we will definitely, I'll take a look at that because that, that sounds very interesting in and of itself. Um, well, I definitely appreciate you having, having you on, Ari. I would definitely, when I was perusing through uh, through your website. There's a lot of interesting topics on there that that can make for any number of episodes. And I would definitely love to have you talk, have you back okay. on to talk about some, some of the other research that you've done as well. Um, but we'll leave things there um, until next time. Absolutely. Really appreciate it, Josh. No problem. Thank you. All right. See you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Illusionary Tales of Reality. Be sure to like and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Have a question for Josh or a theory you'd like to discuss? Get in touch on Instagram or Facebook at Illusionary Tales of Reality. Until next time, stay safe and stay awakened.